the I want to tag team on the uh, the work party that has yet to be uh, the date is yet to be determined. Also, the work has yet to be determined. Uh, it's a party. It's a party. <laughs> it's a party, and there will be things to do. Um, I just I'm waiting for the direction from from. Uh, the head of construction of the project. To, okay, this is what needs to be done at this point. So we'll get there. We'll get there, and it'll be awesome. It'll be a lot of fun. They always are. The last one, if you remember the last one. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> I will not put any of you in Tyvek suits and put you in the ceiling cleaning up rat turds, okay? <laughs> None of you will do that. None. <laughs> just you, just me. <laughs> That was our specialty uh, this last time. Um, and uh, it, was, it was an honor. We have, we have some family today um, here uh, from uh, Jeff's, some of Jeff's family. And so I, I just want to say again that it was, it was an honor to be a part of the family in that way for that service. Um, you always... I've done a lot of memorial services from the worship side and, and music side, and I always come away feeling, most of them, I, I had no idea who the people were. I just worked at a church, and that's what I did. Uh, but I always came away wishing I had known that person or known them more. And, um, and that was the case, again, with, uh, with Jeff's service. The stories were excellent. Uh, not appropriate, but excellent. <laughs> Uh, we are continuing our study in Mark. Um, this is quite an adventure going through the book of Mark. Um, I hope you are studying along with me as we go. We're, we're in the middle of chapter 10 now, and today we're in 17 through 31. They call this passage uh, the rich young ruler. Um, I can see why they call him rich, and, and hence the title ruler. I'm not sure why they call him young. Um, because who knows? And again, he's a guy with no name. The last guy we came across with no name, we named. <laughs> we named him Brian. <laughs> if you remember, that was the uh, that was the Gadarene demoniac who uh, who got healed and redeemed by Jesus. Um, so we are in Mark ten seventeen through thirty one, and the title of this message is "How to Enter the Kingdom of God." So if you got your Bibles on your phones, however you want to do that, go ahead and get there. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would, um, that you would speak to us today through your word. Uh, here we are together in your presence, and uh, we, have, we have had a moment already with you. Lord, we just pray that you would reveal things to us, that you would speak to our hearts. Your word is always alive and active. And, and working in our life as we give you space. So we give you space. Come and minister to us today through the word in Jesus' name. Amen. It's basic human nature to want to be independent and self-reliant. You never want to have your well-being tied to someone else's actions if you can help it. Life has taught us, sometimes in cruel ways, that we will always need to care for ourselves and look out for our own best interests. And though there are many ways we can do this, money 
and wealth are probably the easiest and most recognizable tools for that job. If I have enough of my own resources, then I'm not subject to anyone else. I'm in control. And in this passage in Mark 10, we see an interaction between Jesus and a man who was very wealthy. The lessons laid out here are as applicable for us today as they were when Jesus spoke them. Let's read this passage together. I'm reading out of the NASB, and so if some of the words are not exactly what you have in your uh, King James or Amplified or NIV, that's fine. Follow along. Here we go. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him. That's probably why they call him young. He ran up to him and knelt before him to think. Okay, anyways. And asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. At these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms, along with persecutions, hello, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This man, he comes running to Jesus for some reason. Even though he has kept the law all his life, he was aware of his incompleteness or a lack. There was something missing. His heart told him the truth, and so he ran to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' first response was, well, he just has this, this passing jab in there. You know, it was a, it was a, just kind of a snide comment. Why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. Are you calling me God? Is that what's happening right now? Like, you know, that's where he was going with that. And then he just moves on. He's like, never mind, never mind. I'm just, 
He says, you know the commandments. And, uh, and the man says, yes, I, I, I know, and I've done all that, and, I, and I've done that my whole life, but there must be something more that I can do to inherit eternal life. So there's a misconception here, and that is that he could do something to earn eternal life. And he hadn't already done it. He didn't feel like he'd already done it. There was something more he had to do. But that's a pretty big misconception. I think we probably still deal with that today. You know, if I'm good enough, if I, uh, if I live my life right, then I can win God's favor. Or maybe I have to do one big thing. I have to do something special for God and I can earn his favor. If I live the, a good life, and be good, and don't be bad. <laughs> that will be enough for God to like me. This guy is thinking there must be one big thing I can do to fill the lack, to, to tip the scales, so to speak, to have more good than bad, and maybe Jesus will send me on a quest, an epic quest of some kind, to do something great. Jesus, true to form in his response, goes in a completely different direction. Not at all what was expected. And Jesus tells him what must happen to his heart in order to have eternal life. This guy was not thinking about his heart. Jesus says, go, sell everything you own, give money to the poor, and then come and follow me. The thing, that one thing that he needed to do was to give up everything and to follow. That thing he needed was to be complete was to be dependent on Jesus and not himself. He had to want Jesus more than his wealth and his independence. He had to give his whole life and have no hope of returning back to it. No fallback plan should this whole Jesus thing not work out. He had to give it all up for Jesus. Also note that Jesus felt love for him, and he wanted him to follow. Jesus was always hanging out with sinners and, and tax collectors and prostitutes and, and people that, that uh, were needy. And it, you, could, you could feel like he didn't like the rich people. He didn't like the, he certainly had a hard time with the Pharisees and the, the rulers. But he loved this guy. That I want you to follow me. I want, I want you to be with me. but this is what you got to do. You got to give it all up. The rich man was unwilling, at least in this moment, to give up everything for Jesus. Now, maybe later he did. Maybe he went home and counted the cost and, and thought, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. This, this stuff that I have, this, the, the possessions I have are never going to fulfill me. I got to count the cost, and I got to give it up for Jesus. Maybe he did. I hope he did. But right here, the unnamed rich man doesn't. His second response was sad resignation and not to follow Jesus because he loved his wealth more than God. It's funny how Jesus will ask a question or you're reading something in scripture and, and God exposes a motive in your heart and you realize, oh, 
I do that wrong. I think about that wrong. Oh, that does have a place in my heart that I, I didn't realize. How about, <laughs> I, this is not in my notes. Uh, when COVID hit and all the churches got messed up and everything we thought we understood about how to do this Christianity thing was questioned, uh, how many of us realized that we valued things that maybe weren't biblical? Yeah, the, the, way we, the way we thought that, the, well, this is how we do church or, or um, valued certain ceremonies and, and traditions. Um, and then that was challenged or taken away. And we realized the Lord highlighted things in our heart and attitudes in our heart that, that we had to go, oh, okay, all right. I was doing that wrong. I was thinking about that wrong. I know I did. But this man wanted his independence more than he wanted to be at Jesus' side. And so in that moment where Jesus highlighted the issue to him, he was not ready to, to make that decision for Jesus. He wanted his independence more. He wasn't ready to sacrifice everything, which means he didn't really understand who Jesus was. If he knew who Jesus was in that moment and Jesus offered that, follow me, if he had understood who Jesus really was, he would have been, he would have been on that because he would have seen how small and insignificant his possessions were to being with Jesus compared to being with Jesus. So the man is sad. He goes away. And Jesus has this exchange with his disciples afterwards. This is how he did it. Something would happen out here in public, and then he would talk to his disciples afterwards and kind of debrief. Hey, this is what, this, this is what I meant. This is how that went down. Uh, this is how, this is the principle behind it. This was his practice. And Jesus bemoans the fact that it is so difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom. It's a general statement. It's so, so difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it? Why is it hard for, for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? Let's look at that for a moment. We know that money is not inherently good or evil, uh, but the love of money is a root of evil that can cause all kinds of problems. We know that you cannot serve God and uh, mammon is, is the word for it, but it's a personification of the pursuit of wealth. You can't serve God and pursue wealth at the same time. The kingdom of God, we've defined in, in previous messages as wherever the rule and reign and authority of God is in effect. In a heart, in a, in a room, in a situation, in a society, that's where the, the kingdom of God is where he is welcomed and his authority is acknowledged. Um, but in this case, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. It's hard to enter the kingdom. Hard to, so it makes it more like a, a place, carries a broader sense of becoming part of what God is doing, the things that God is about that he is doing, to be part of that, and then eternal life in the hereafter. So it's interesting that it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that you can't even enter it unless you become like a child. So we've kind of got these swirling concepts here of the kingdom, money versus God, as far as who's in charge and who, who has the most influence, and then becoming like a child to enter the kingdom of God. Here's the deal. 
Wealth can be the equivalent to self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is the opposite of childlike faith. It's the opposite. And so it's very hard to be self-sufficient and enter the kingdom of God because you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't be part of what God is doing. You can't give him your life if you are self-sufficient. So it's hard for the wealthy to get to heaven. It's hard to give that up once you have it. Some of us have never had it in the first place. And so it's just like, hey, this is easy. (laughs) Super easy. I got nothing. Lord, I give you my life. (laughs) I think, I mean, yeah. Because it is harder to trust and rely on God alone for salvation when it feels like you've got it covered on your own. I don't think we, we consciously think that. Ah, yeah, I'm good. I got it covered. We just, we just operate. We're on auto drive. Cruise control. Um, I remember growing up uh, in, in our, our neighborhood, uh, we were one of the, we moved in there when I was 12. My parents built a house and it was a newer development. And as the development grew, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a lot to compare it to. We hadn't moved a lot, but, but uh, it became nicer and nicer, and, and there were really nice houses, and, and we had a great house too. I didn't have anything to compare it to. This was just normal life, and, and a lot of, lot of uh, well-to-do people with their two beamers and that kind of stuff, you know, moving into the neighborhood. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just a kid. I don't, I don't know what's what, but hanging out with some of the neighborhood kids I wanted to bring people to Jesus. And I was asking you know, these kids to, to come to church with us on Wednesday. And, um, and it, they weren't really interested. They, didn't, they, didn't, they were just, ah, yeah, yeah. And there were some conversations with families that um, it was just, there was no interest. There was no need for that. And, and I remember talking with my parents, just frustrated, like, doesn't everybody want Jesus? Like, shouldn't we all just, oh, you don't know, so I'm going to tell you, and now you know, and that's what you want now, right? That's just how it should go, and, and it wasn't the way it was going. And, and I made the connection in my mind at that, at that point that the people that I was relating to, the people that I was communicating with were not in need. They had it nailed. They, they you know, they had their finances in order. They had lots of money. They, they had cars. They had the, the toys. Um, there was no need. There was no felt need for Jesus to come and save their life, to rescue them. There was no need. Um, and so they weren't really interested in another solution. They had their own. And I think this is what Jesus was speaking to, is when you're not aware of your need, when you're self-sufficient, you're not, you're not really coming to Jesus to give him your life. So what happens next? The disciples were astonished. Mark doesn't often use this word, but this seems to be kind of a constant condition with the disciples. When Jesus does something, they're like, it blows their mind, and they, it's completely uh, countercultural. Culture at this time said that financial prosperity was a sign of God's favor on your life. It means you had done something right, 
and God loved you. Conversely, if you were in poverty or had an illness or anything like that, that was a sign of God's displeasure with you. Now, neither one of those are true. Sometimes they can have truth in them, but it is definitely not the measuring rod that that, uh, Scripture uses. So the statement that Jesus said that it's so hard for the rich to enter heaven, uh, enter the kingdom of God, really tossed this societal norm on its ear. As we know, Jesus had a habit of doing this. The disciples thought if the people with God's favor on their life can't get into heaven, what hope is there for the rest of us, right? Like, these are the favorites, and they can't get, it's super hard for them, so, so the disciples say, well, then who can even get in? Like, what are we even doing here? And Jesus says, with people, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Why is that? Because God can change a heart, and people can't change hearts. You can't even change your own heart. <laughs> you don't even know what you need to change in your own heart. But God can work in your heart. Peter asks, what about us? We gave up everything to follow you. We did give it up. This guy didn't, but, but we did. Maybe we didn't have as much as him in the first place, but we did. We, did. We, we left our boats. We left our businesses. We left our families. We are following you. We are out here on the road. We are camping with you, Jesus. Like, seriously, this is not the lap of luxury. And, um, and Jesus says to him, those who give up family, earthly security, and wealth to follow and to be with him will be rewarded. And I love this. This is such a, such a cool passage. Not just with eternal life. Like that would be enough. That would be enough. If I, if I could grasp that, it would be enough that if I gave up everything here, I would gain eternal life. But, he, but the first part of this isn't even eternal life. It's here in this present age. In this life, you will be rewarded with a hundred times the family that you left, the homes that you left, the things that you gave up. Why is that? Because you get put in the body of Christ in a family. Now, we can definitely be every bit as dysfunctional as your family. (laughs) We have that capacity. But we get put in the family and... and, uh, how many of those relationship roles get filled in a body like this, in our community together? And we care for each other. And then Jesus closes that with uh, many who are first will be last and the last first. Things are not what they seem. This is a consistent theme with Jesus. Things are not what they seem. The servant will be the greatest of all. The children are the ones that get into heaven. Um, And the ones we think of as as successful may not be so in the kingdom. There's three lessons for us today in this passage. Well, there's probably more than that, but I'm going to highlight three of them. The first lesson is, I can never earn favor with God and get myself eternal life. The rich man had been good his whole life, but was lacking. Our righteousness, such that it is, is as filthy rags. 
when the Lord looks at it. Living a good life isn't going to cut it. Jesus even said, no one is good but God alone. So you trying to be good, not good, not good. The minute we start thinking that we can take care of ourselves, fix ourselves, or be good enough by ourselves, we have stopped trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross. He went to the cross because we are completely unable to do it by ourselves. But he did it. So the first lesson is I, you, cannot, you cannot earn it for yourself. This is gospel 101. You can't earn it by yourself, but Jesus has done it for you. The second lesson, wealth can keep you out of the kingdom of God. We talked about this uh, when we're talking about uh, wealth here. Money can make you feel comfortable, self-sustaining. You don't feel or need anything, and you don't realize your need. The rich man thought he might be able to buy his way into prominence in the coming kingdom of Messiah, but that's not how the kingdom works. God had warned Israel over and over throughout, throughout the Old Testament not to trust in their alliances with greater kingdoms for protection, not to trust in their, the size of their army or the size of their economy. But they were always doing that. They were putting their trust in, in all the things around them, the number of horses or chariots. And uh, David actually caused a plague in Israel by taking a census. Why? Because he was gauging the strength of his kingdom by the wrong measurement. His faith was in the numbers and not in God Almighty who had already saved them countless times in the past. So the good news here is that God can still reach the heart of someone who is completely self-sufficient. God can reach the heart of someone who is completely self-sufficient. This may not be a fun experience. Um, you've heard the term rock bottom. And it may be that bringing a, it may be bringing a self-reliant person to that rock bottom place to realize they're not in control, Right? God will work things and allow things so that you realize you are not in control and you need him. It may be a humbling experience if they choose not to humble themselves. You know that you can, and Peter says um, later in the New Testament, humble yourselves. James says it too. Humble yourselves beneath the, the hand of almighty God because he will raise you up. He'll take care of you. He's got you. But if you, if you, don't humble yourself, then you risk being humbled and not, not what you want to do. But with people, it's impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. So the first lesson is I can't earn my favor with God. It's a free gift from Jesus and the second lesson is, wealth can keep me out of the kingdom of God if I don't humble myself. Lesson three, I have to sell out to Jesus. The man comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus eventually says, you got to sell your stuff, 
and follow me. You got to give up everything and follow me. What does that mean to sell out? What does it look like? Well, sold out could be defined as completely committed, devoted, invested, and engaged to a cause. To have no reserves about the decision you are making. To be willing to go anywhere, do anything, give up everything in order to achieve your goal by any means necessary. This is sold out. The disciples were sold out and would become even more so after Pentecost when they really realized what was going down. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 3. Although I myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, doing the right things, but that which is brought through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. If I was to reinterpret verse 20 of Mark 10, where the rich man says, I have done all these from my youth. It might sound like that first bit from Paul. Jesus, I've done everything that our culture demands of me. I have gone to the right festivals. I've offered the right sacrifices. I've said the right prayers. I have avoided blowing my life up with any major outward sin. No scandal. I have been a nice person and tried really hard to make sure my character is solid, and I've been doing it all since I was a kid. But Jesus says, you got to sell out. You got to be all in. You need to give your life to Jesus, not have Jesus in your life. You need to give your life to Jesus, not invite Jesus into your heart, right? That's kind of the prayer that, that many of us have, have prayed at least verbally, those were the words we used. Jesus, I, I invite you into my heart, forgive my sin. Uh, yes, he wants to be in your heart. He does forgive your sin. But this is not inviting somebody to come along and be your co-pilot. You got to give your life to him. He didn't come to help you with your homework. He didn't come to make sure you never felt lonely again. He came to give his life as a ransom for yours. And Paul says, again, in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he's done, to present your bodies, your very bodies, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service. This is your service of worship. This is how you respond appropriately to what he's done for you. You got to sell out. It's all or nothing. When you put yourself on the altar, you're, you don't have a plan B. Like, this is, this is it. This is all I am. 
Seth, would you mind coming up and accompanying me? There's two incredible blessings that come when we sell out. I think you could talk about selling out for a long time because sometimes we think we're in the right spot and we're doing the right things, right? But Jesus says, doing the right things, even since you were a kid, is not, that doesn't make you righteous. You gotta, you gotta cast it all off and come and follow me. There's two incredible blessings that we get when we are part of the family of God. We get to be with the family and we get eternal life in the next. Scripture says that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are baptized into his body, the church. This family is formed by the Holy Spirit and by a common ground in Jesus Christ. This family knows and loves each other in spite of the humanity that we all bring. They spur each other on to good works. They encourage each other and bear each other's burdens practically and spiritually in prayer. And you won't find another family like it. The benefit most people sign up for, at least initially, is the one that the rich man was seeking, of eternal life in the age to come. And when you give your life to Jesus, he gives his life to you. That's what scripture says. And because he rose and lives forever, you will rise and live forever. You will have eternal life because of what he did. These are two, two blessings that make life, life worth living. To be part of the family of God and to receive eternal life. So the three lessons, just to recap that section here, I can never earn God's favor for myself. I just have to accept Jesus' work. Wealth and self-sufficiency can keep me out of the kingdom of God if I let it. If I refuse to depend on Jesus. And the third one, I have to sell out. I have to be all in. I can't be a cultural Christian or a nominal Christian. Confronted with a word like this, it's appropriate to respond. It's appropriate to, to reflect. And if you would bow your heads with me for a moment. I don't know exactly what the Lord is speaking to you in this moment, but this word has challenged me and forced me to re-examine areas of my own faith. And today we need to ask ourselves these hard questions. Have I been relying on my own goodness to be good with God? Did I start to think that I could earn my salvation, maybe a little subconsciously, by doing all the right things and checking the right boxes? If so, I need to repent and turn back to complete and childlike faith in Jesus. Is there anybody here that would say, ah, yeah, that's, that's me. I've strayed a little bit. I, I need to return back to complete and childlike faith. Would you acknowledge that before the Lord and lift your hand?
Here's another question. Have I become complacent because my physical needs are met? And I don't feel a lack of anything. Have I forgotten that I am in desperate need of that sacrifice that Jesus made for me? And I've relied on my self-sufficiency. If so, I need to repent. And I need to remember that it's Jesus and not me that makes me righteous. If that's you today, would you acknowledge that before the Lord? Lift your hand. One more question. Have I been a nominal Christian? Or a cultural Christian out of convenience or maybe even just force of habit? Has my faith been more of a subculture lifestyle than a life sacrificed for a cause? Have I crawled off the altar that would be my reasonable act of worship to the one who gave his life for me? If so, I need to crawl back on that altar and offer my life a living sacrifice again. He is worthy of that. And I need to really give him my life. If that's you and the Holy Spirit is speaking to that part of your heart today, would you acknowledge that before the Lord and lift your hand? Lord, see our hearts and our hands. For many of us, this moment of recommitting to Jesus is something that we just have to do regularly. But for some there, there that might be here today or joining us online, maybe you've never really made that initial decision to give him your life in the first place. I'm not talking about inviting him into your heart and asking him to forgive your sin. I'm talking about realizing what he has done for you and responding appropriately by giving your entire life and everything in it to him. Jesus says to you today, you got to sell out. There is eternal life waiting for you. You got to sell out. You got to let that stuff go because you can't come into the kingdom if you're holding on to it. If that's you today, if you're ready to give Jesus your life for the first time, completely, would you acknowledge that before the Lord and lift your hand? Let's pray together. Don't repeat after me. That gets confusing. Just pray in your own heart. I'm going to pray out loud. Lord, thank you for your word. As we read and study, we find that we are encouraged, convicted, corrected, instructed. Today, I acknowledge that I am not good enough to earn your favor. I acknowledge that my best effort is filthiness before you because you alone are good. I repent of being self-reliant and independent. Jesus, I choose to rely completely on your sacrifice as a payment for my rebellion. I put my faith in you alone for salvation. You have 
bought eternal life for me. Jesus, because you gave yourself to die for me in my place, I now owe you my life. And I give it to you now. You mean more to me than anything else. Everything else is counted as a loss compared to you. Wash my sins away. Change my heart because only you can. Take my life as a living sacrifice. Use me as you see fit. I love you and I trust you. I submit to you. I give you my life, Jesus. Amen.